Genesis chapter number 21. Uh, we'll be in verses 22 down through verse number 34. Looking at the subject of Beersheba. Now, whenever we look at everything we've looked at thus far, and especially what's taking place in chapter number 21, this, this last part of the chapter seems sort of like an odd tag. I mean, we had the birth of Isaac in the beginning of chapter 21. We had uh, the controversy between Isaac and Ishmael, and of course Sarah and Hagar, and as a result, Ishmael and Hagar were cast out. Uh, uh, so we see some big, significant things happening in Abraham's home. And then we come to the end of chapter number 21 and we find this interesting insert uh, of the story of a, a, a con conversation and a covenant uh, that was made as a result of the conversation between Abimelech and Abraham. Now, understanding how long Abraham lived, the Bible does not record every interaction that Abraham had with everybody. And when we look at this, this seems like a casual interaction. So why is it that God included it into our word, into his word? And I believe that God does not include everything that took place uh, during the time that the Bible was being written. The, the, the world couldn't hold the volumes if they did record everything. But he did record everything that was needed, necessary, and important. So if he's included it in his word, I believe there are some things that we should see about it. And as we look at this passage tonight, I believe there's some noteworthy considerations in this passage. So we're going to start reading uh, in verse number 22. And then we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, verse number 34. The Bible says, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not who hath done this thing, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. Abimelech is definitely making sure Abraham knows he, he had no idea this took place. At which uh, when you come and trying to make a truce with somebody, this kind of hurts the truce a little bit. He's like, I had no idea. Anyway, verse number 27, And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many years. 
days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for how you've been with us and blessed us. Uh, Lord, through the through today, through the week, and Father, allowed us to come to your house tonight. I thank you, dear Lord, for those that are serving downstairs and the young people that have come, uh, Lord, to that meeting. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless as they share your word, that, Lord, it'll plant a seed in their hearts. Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless tonight as we study your word. And, Father, Lord, as we look at some significant things about Beersheba, that, Father, Lord, uh, we'll be able to make some applications, uh, Father Lord, that will help us as Christians, Lord, to understand you, understand your purpose, and grow to be more like you, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us throughout this evening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There's a few things that we can uh, point out as we dive into this, and it's actually the lesson tonight is kind of going to be uh, almost like two separate lessons. You'll see how that is as we go along. But uh, the first thing that I want to look at is the notable place, uh, which is uh, Beersheba, a notable place, uh, which is... Uh, this place called Beersheba. Now there's a few things that we can point out about this place and so uh, we're going to look at the passage uh, and then we're going to point out a few things about this location. Uh, the first thing that we see from the passage is that this place was named by Abraham and Abimelech. Now this is something important to keep in mind as we get a little further in the lesson. We're going to look at something that is a possibility and understanding that it was named at this point. Before this time it was not named this, but after this covenant was made, Abraham and Abimelech named this place Beersheba. Would you read the passage? We saw that there was a conflict. Abimelech was concerned for his safety, understanding how the Lord had blessed Abraham. Probably word had got around about Abraham's conquest whenever he defeated the five kings that had attacked Sodom. And so Abimelech was concerned that Abraham might rise up and overthrow him. And also Abraham is having a problem with the water supply. And so they have a conflict here between one another. And as a result, the two men and entered into a covenant uh, concerning their agreement to abide in peace and also concerning the well. And in verse number 31, we find that the name Beersheba was given as a result of that covenant. In verse number 31, it says, Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Now if you look in the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew Dictionary, you will find that the meaning of the word Beersheba is the well of the seventh oath. The well of the sevenfold oath. Not seventh, sevenfold. The well of the sevenfold oath. Now if you look back at verse 28 to 30, you'll find the source of this name comes from the fact that Abraham secured the covenant with a gift of seven ewe lambs. In verse number 28, And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. So therefore, because they secured the covenant with a gift of seven lambs, which Abraham said, By you taking these lambs, you are confirming that I dug this well, this is my well, effort of my work. Uh, uh, therefore, they gave the place the name of Beersheba, which means the well of the sevenfold oath. Uh, it's probable that 
one of the reasons that this interaction between Abraham and Abimelech is included in the Word of God is because Beersheba, after this point, Beersheba became a notable landmark. Uh, uh, Throughout the Old Testament, we find Israel's borders are described as being from Dan to Beersheba. So Beersheba became a notable landmark, and that's your second blank there on your worksheet. The books of Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles all describe the land of Israel as being from Dan to Beersheba. I have a map here. If you fellas pop that map up, uh, we see here on this picture, the map there, of course, is to your right. Uh, Then on your left, the top picture is the ruins of the city of Beersheba that was later built. And then the bottom picture is a model of what they feel like it would have looked like. But if you look at the map, you'll see that Dan is to the north. All the way up at the top of the map, you see Dan. And then if you come down to the bottom of the map of the land of Israel, you will see Beersheba. And all throughout the Word of God, we find many, many references speaking of the land of Israel as being from Dan to Beersheba. So here we have in Genesis, we are finding out how Beersheba came to be, how it received its name, and it became a notable landmark. Another interesting thing we see concerning Beersheba is that Beersheba was the wilderness of Hagar's wandering. Now earlier I told you that it was important to recognize that it was named at this point. The reason it's important to realize that is because Hagar wandered in the wilderness earlier in the chapter. Earlier in chapter number 21, we see the account of Hagar and Ishmael's, what we looked at in our last lesson. Uh, They were driven out of Abraham's home. And the Bible tells us in verse 14 of chapter 21, so back several verses from where we're at tonight, it says that they wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. In verse 14 it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now there's a couple of opinions as to why as to why uh, the Bible states that she was wandering in Beersheba before it was named Beersheba. And so one opinion is that the author of the book of Genesis was recording these events, of course, long after they happened, having knowledge of what the wilderness was now called. uh, uh, He just identified it, although it hadn't been named that ahead of time. And that is definitely very possible that that is what took place. The second opinion is that the meeting between Abraham and Abimelech occurred before Hagar was cast out. And you'll say, well, wait a minute, looking at chronological order in the chapter, that couldn't be possible. But if you look at verse number 22, it says, and it came to pass at that time. Now when we look at chapter number 21 and we think about this thing at that time, We look here and we're like, okay, so what are they talking about? There's a lot of things that's taken place here in the book or in chapter number 21. We see that Isaac is born. We see that three years later, Ishmael and Hagar is cast out. Uh, We see at the end, uh, verse number 21, we see that Ishmael is a grown man and has taken a wife. So there's quite a span of time that has taken place here from Isaac's birth to Ishmael taking a wife. And then we have this story on the end that says, at that time. At what time? 
at the same time period of the whole chap that the whole chapter is written in. You see, these are stories that all happened at the same time and there was no way to tell them in such a way other than to just tell one and then the other and then the other and say these all happened at the same time. This all took place during the same time period. And so when we think of that, it's, a pro it's probable, uh, uh, you know, at least reasonable to think that it's possible that this uh, meeting between Abraham and Abimelech took place before Hagar was cast out, took place about the time of Isaac's birth, which would have been three or four years before she had been cast out. And so you say, well, what, what does that matter? Well, while we can't say that this is definitely the case, it could just be that Moses, in writing the record, knew that area was called Beersheba and recorded it as such. But if it's possible that this meeting took place ahead of time, which it is, I see an example of God's provision. You see, before this meeting took place, Abimelech's men had violently taken over the well, wasn't allowing anybody to drink out of it. After this meeting took place, uh, they made an agreement uh, that Abraham and his people could drink out of the well. Then we see that Hagar gets cast out uh, and she gets sent out into the wilderness of Beersheba. We read in the story, we won't go back and read the account now, you remember the account that Hagar was in the wilderness, the water in her bottle ran out. Uh, the Bible says that she cast uh, Ishmael under a shrub and, setting that, or, and she went over a ways from the shrub and as she sat there, God revealed to her a whale. Now it's very likely that Abraham knew where the well was, but Hagar, being a house servant, had never left the house to go out and see where the well was, and she discovers the well. It's very possible that this is the well. And I see God's provision in that God orchestrated that Abraham and Abimelech would make this covenant so that when Hagar and Ishmael were cast out, the well would be available for them to drink from. If you look in verse number 34 of chapter 21, you see that Abraham planted a grove at the well. There wasn't a lot there. It's desert area. But the Bible says that Hagar threw Ishmael under a shrub. Now, a young tree that was planted to intentionally grow up into a, into, into a big tree three or four years in would have just been a shrub. So we don't know if this is true or not. Don't, or don't know if this is how it happened or not, but it's very possible that God had made provision for Hagar and Ishmael three or four years before they were cast out because God knew what was coming. And you say, well, pastor, there's no way you can prove that. There's absolutely no way I can prove that, but I do know it sounds like something my God would do. And I can rejoice in that, that it definitely sounds like something he would do. A fourth thing we can see about Beersheba is that Beersheba became a symbol of meeting with God, a symbol of meeting with God. So we won't take time to go through each of the scriptures. But if you look through the Old Testament, you will find several occasions of God meeting with people at Beersheba. In our text, we see that Abraham found water there at Beersheba. In our text, we find that Hagar found water there. In Genesis 26, we see that Isaac found water there. In each one of these, and I know I'm moving through them quickly, uh, Abraham, Hagar, Isaac will be your three answers there. Each of them found water at, um, 
at Beersheba. But in addition to each of these finding water, uh, we find that Abraham worshipped there. In verse number 34, he worshipped there in Beersheba. In Genesis 26, we see that the Lord appeared to Isaac there. In Genesis 46, we find that God spoke to Jacob there. Uh, this is a place where God met with people, and although I failed to put it in the notes, uh, God also spoke to Hagar at Beersheba. This became a place where God met with people. And there are other instances throughout the Old Testament where God met with people at Beersheba. So if you got your blanks there, it's Abraham, Hagar, Isaac, Abraham, Lord, and God. So that should be your blanks there on your worksheet. Uh, Beersheba became a place where God both satisfied the thirst and communicated with his servants. And as I, was, as I was looking at this and studying this out this week, I began to think about Psalm 42.1, where it says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And I thought about this. Do we have, do I personally have a Beersheba? What do I mean to that? Do I have a place? Do I have a time? Do I have a... Do I practice going away and getting alone with God so that he can satisfy the thirst of my soul so that I can communicate with him and he can communicate with me? Do I have a Beersheba, a place where God provides that water of the word that fills the soul in, in times of difficulty? I believe sometimes it would do good as Christians to spend a little time at Beersheba. Wherever, however that is, spend a little time at that place where God will feed your soul and communicate with us through prayer and drinking from his word. So we see here an introduction and an explanation of this notable place called Beersheba. But in this passage we also find an example and instruction for a needed practice. And this is why I said it would almost seem like two separate lessons. The first lesson is looking at the place, Beersheba, and the second part of the lesson is looking at this needed practice. I find it interesting that sometimes we find things in the Bible that although they are not direct commandments, they do provide great examples on how uh, we are to conduct ourselves towards others. And here we see a, needing, a needed practice which I put down as a binding covenant because this is what takes place here with Abraham and Abimelech. They enter into a covenant concerning this area where they live and, of course, the resources that are available there. So we look at this, and although this passage of Scripture is not given specifically as instruction on how we should enter into covenants, we can look at how they conducted themselves in entering into this covenant and we can learn some great things about forming agreements with other individuals. The first thing we see is that a mutual covenant will be binding to both parties. A mutual covenant will be binding to both parties. Anytime uh, there is... Uh, some uh, uh, two individuals and one has to obey the rules and the other does not, uh, that is not a, a true covenant. Uh, uh, that is a dictatorship. Uh, a covenant is when I do my part, 
They do their part. It's binding to both parties. We see in verse number 23 that Abimelech was seeking a treaty between himself and Abraham, although Abraham was living in the area that Abimelech ruled Abimelech knew that Abraham had the ability, he had the servants, he was a blessed man, uh, that if Abraham started having problems with the way Abimelech was doing things, Abraham was strong enough that he could have created a serious problem, possibly even overthrew Abimelech. And so Abimelech is seeking to live peaceably alongside one another. He's securing a promise. Abraham... Here's what I want. I want you to promise that there's not going to come one day when you're just going to up and overthrow me and take over my land. I, I want uh, this agreement. And so Abraham agrees to it. But it's not necessary that such agreements be beneficial to both parties. Not only is a covenant to be binding to both parties, but it needs to be beneficial to both parties. Abraham was willing to live in harmony, but as we pointed out early on, uh, they already weren't living in harmony. And so when Abimelech came and said, I want to live in harmony, Abraham said, I'll be happy to live in harmony, but uh, I want to point something out. I dug a well and your men won't let me drink from it. So if we're going to do this harmony thing, there's going to have to be some give and take. You're going to have to let me drink from the well. And so Abraham uh, needed water for his flocks, and so he pointed out that there had been some conflict over the water. And if he was going to live in harmony with Abimelech, he wanted the favor returned so that he could have access to the limited water in the area. And of course, we see that taking place in uh, verse 25 uh, down through verse number 32, where uh, the Bible says, And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And of course, Abimelech says, I, I had no idea that this had taken place. No one had told me. You didn't tell me. We will take care of this. They made the agreement. So a covenant as we see the example here, uh, should be binding to both parties, but a covenant should also be beneficial to both parties. I often tell, uh, have told my children and tell other young people, uh, young people will say something mean to someone else. And of course, the other person will get their feelings hurt, and then the one that made the statement will just laugh hysterically. You go to get them in trouble for it, they'll be like, oh, it was a joke. And I say, it wasn't a joke unless both people laugh. It wasn't funny unless it benefited both parties. And the same thing applies whenever we look at a covenant. It's not a covenant unless both people are benefiting. That's the only way that it becomes a covenant. Just some practical, practical principles here from the Word of God. Whenever we look at this thing about a covenant, uh, we can also see some important principles uh, concerning how we enter into these covenants. First, we find from this story that a mutual covenant requires communication. A mutual covenant requires communication. Abimelech showed up and said, I want you to agree that we can live in peace. Well, Abraham, although he had not said anything to Abimelech about it, uh, had already been wronged by Abimelech and Abimelech's people. Abraham could have said, I agree we can live in peace and never mentioned that Abimelech's people had wronged him and Abraham would have had a bitterness in himself uh, that he would have felt like he was wronged by being asked to enter into this covenant that would have, the bitterness would have grown and would have caused division. But what Abraham did is he communicated. We see here that both Abraham and Abimelech spoke openly 
about their concerns and they both offered solutions for their concerns. So anytime we want to reach a mutual agreement or enter into an agreement with someone else, it requires that we communicate. And this applies from things small. This can apply to uh, agreements within our marriage. This can apply to agreements in our workplace. This can apply to great big things that we do. There's a Bible principle here that can help us through life. If we're going to enter into an agreement with someone, there needs to be open communication. So Abraham and Abimelech both communicated openly. Secondly, we see that because they communicated openly, this covenant avoids conflict. The agreement, the covenant, avoids conflict. Because of the discussion and because uh, they reached an agreement, future conflict was avoided. Now, I don't know what Abraham had told his men when they came back and said, Abimelech's servants won't allow us to use the well. Uh, Abraham may have said, well, we'll have to, you know, find another place to dig a well. He may have said, well, give them a few days and let's go back and see what we can do. Uh, there was a problem there. There was a problem brewing. But because they openly communicated, they came to an agreement, the conflict was over. There was no more conflict. And you know what? And, and this is just practical wisdom. But we can avoid a lot of conflict if we would learn to communicate. Most of the conflict that occurs between individuals is the result of assumption. Me thinking I know what the other person feels, thinks, wants, and having no clue what they want. But because I make the assumption, then I begin to form my opinion and I begin to come up with ideas on how I'm going to handle this when they do what I think they're going to do. And I'll have a whole plan laid out that doesn't apply to the other person at all. And sometimes we allow our assumptions to so fuel us that we speak out at the other person or we take action against something we have assumed and the other person is completely blindsided because that was not their intention. So much conflict can be avoided by communication. We see that because of this agreement, future conflict was avoided. Abimelech could rest easy knowing he was under no threat of an attack from Abraham, and Abraham was no longer concerned about finding water for his livestock. So we, we learn from this account that communication... And agreements go a long way to protect our relationships from conflict. And thirdly, we see that reaching agreements with others establishes confidence. Reaching agreements with others establishes confidence. Once there's been communication, now I know where you're at. Now I have confidence in how you're going to respond and what you're going to do. And what this does is it eliminates others from being able to sow any seed of discord. Maybe there was another person that moved into the area and come to Abraham and said, hey, what's Abimelech like? Is he going to give me any trouble? Or I've heard this, 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 and this about Abimelech, and Abraham could confidently say, no, that's not how Abimelech is. Abimelech and I have a great relationship. Abimelech has no problem with us using the water here out of the well. It gives Confidence. It establishes confidence in one another. And so if we communicate one with another and come to agreements with one another, then when others come in and try to sow discord in the church, it, they, they don't get anywhere because we've established confidence in one another. Bimelech went home. Abraham resumed worship. The agreement had settled their concerns and now they were living in confidence concerning one another. 
The covenant established where each other stood and eliminated temptations to assume and falsely fear or falsely accuse one another. So we look at this passage of Scripture that is put here into the Word of God and we may say, boy, this just seems like an odd story. Tagged in where it's at. But I think we see a couple things here. First we see we're introduced and explained about Beersheba, where it's at and why it's there and it becomes a significant part of the Word of God. But we also have a valuable lesson that just teaches us some practical things about life. And I don't know about you, but I love the Word of God. I love how the Word of God is full of principles and things that just help us as individuals if we simply pay attention to what the Bible has for us. So hope you enjoyed that little look at Beersheba there. And uh, if you get uh, wanting something to do one night, take a little time and uh, dig into all the places that the Bible speaks of Dan to Beersheba and all the places where God met with people at Beersheba, and I think that you will be blessed. Before we go into our time of prayer, I wonder if anyone else has a prayer request that they thought of that they want to add to the list, anything at all. Joey?